uh, honest and raw side of me because I've done other podcasts with people and I just sort of know them. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to give Jason like the most honest and truthful version of myself. Well, that's the version that we all can look forward to. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Gooder Life podcast. This is your host, Jason Hamer. I am so excited to be chatting with my lifelong friend, Mr. Mark Elrays, as he shares with us his stories of transformation, realizing very quickly that it is all about the environment that you either choose to or cannot choose to live in. Because sometimes when misfortune strikes, we have to be confident in ourselves and our ability to love ourselves to really have that deep-rooted transformation that we all seek. From the mental side of things to the physical side of things, Mark's stories shed a light on what possibilities can look like in a world of adversity. Enjoy. Quick though, I mean, is that all right? (laughs) I mean, you were about to say something super epic and life-changing, so I think the world needs to hear it. Yeah, I was uh, just going to ask you questions about what we're doing here, so we'll just jump right into it. Yep, I mean, that's I ask myself those questions every day when I wake up. I say, Jason, well, what are you doing here? And, you know, eventually <laughs> the answer pops out, and, you know, I'm cool with that, but it, it kind of bleeds into my mantra, which is the only thing constant in life is change, and if we know one thing about change, I think uh, it's me and you, buddy. I mean, hell, here I am sitting on a podcast with my best friend of, mm-hmm. are we getting close to 20? I think we're getting close to 20 years. We're over 15. Well, I know that. So somewhere between 15 <laughs> and 20. Yeah. Right. I know right. We were, it's been over 15. It's, it's wild. I've known you almost longer than I feel like I've known myself. Oh, that's, that's some, you got to go, you keep going with that, man. That's an, that's a deep line right there. Oh, well, I mean, they say what, every five years, you're a new collection of yourself and every 10, you won't even recognize that one, 10 years in the past. So I honestly feel like most of my early twenties, my late teenage years were just experimenting and building the foundation. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, I don't even think I really knew myself as much back then. And I don't think you did either. Frankly, you were a magician. You definitely definitely look different when I I met you. Yeah, I think (laughs) I'm a magician. And the joke goes, so I made my calves disappear and I still can't find them. Uh, Ha, 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 ha. But hey, here we are on a Gooder Life podcast. Welcome, everyone. I am honored, humbled, and super excited to have the chance and opportunity to interview my best friend and longest person I think I've known besides my parents and family in this lifetime, Mr. Mark L. Reyes. We're welcoming him here onto a Gooder Life podcast to hear his story of struggles and successes, to hear about how he has embodied and projected the transformation that he's gone through. And if you heard anything from our intro, this guy, I'll tell you what, this guy can go deep. I I mean, I, (laughs) I have fond memories of conversations that literally seem like they lasted lifetimes packed into hours. And just when you hear him speak and how he builds out and, and connects words and really just allows you to be drawn into the stories it's, it's magical. So I'm super excited for you guys to kind of hear what Mark has to say about his life, knowing that we're, we're here to talk about living a gooder life. We're here to talk about what types of things can help us overcome struggles. And Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you, man. And wherever you want to start, I'm going to, I'm going to let it go. Okay. 
That's quite an intro. I appreciate that, Jason. Yeah, um, I've known you for quite some time. Actually, I have very fond memories of sneaking down to the park when we both thought we were karate masters and doing a uh, sparring with the fog coming in. And we, well, it was, yeah, I remember that. Oh, well, one of us thought we were, one of us actually was. I'll let you guys kind of figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny. I actually, y'all can't see me, but I am wearing my Cobra Kai shirt. Oh, nice. You really are. Uh, I really, how did you know that was going to happen? But it's just vibrating frequencies. But yeah, thanks for that intro. That's really kind of you. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just introduce myself. So my story really begins, I'll tell you this story, really from birth. I know that's so cliche to go that far back, but see, I was born in the Middle East. I was born during a war and 1986 in Lebanon, Beirut. And so when my mom got this call from her cousin that said, hey, my cousin was the driver to the limo to the American ambassador. The ambassador said, hey, I want to give you a favor to my mom's cousin. And he said, I want to get a visa for my cousin so she can come to America and escape this war. Somehow it got pulled off. And at the time, and sort of a little bit now, Lebanon was split at the top half were the Christians, the Maronites, and the bottom half were the Muslims, the Shiite and the Sunnis. And the airport was in the bottom half of Lebanon. So we had to drive to the border where the Christians weren't allowed to go. And then we had to sneak into the back of, an, of a military vehicle who my dad, who wasn't in the country at the time because he worked on boats, but he had a connection where he was able to get us in this military vehicle. And we had to be snuck into the airport um, and boarded one of the last planes to leave before they actually bombed the airport. And that was my introduction to life. I was two <laughs> and uh, we came to America with my mom, me, my brother, my brother Roy, and uh, we didn't know English. We had no money. We just left everything behind. We, we still have a house and all our family's still there. And, and that was like my introduction to the world. That's when my memories start forming, when I start learning language and all of that. And um, it's been transformative for me because I think at that age, what I learned, I learned that as good as I have it now, I want to phrase this right because what I really learned is to be grateful, right? Because I, I don't remember as vaguely those moments, but I do remember growing up where we didn't have food because we had to rely on the community. That's a big thing in my life. We have to rely on the community, the people around us, where I had to spend time by myself and define who I am. They call us third culture kids now because I'm not very much Lebanese. But I'm also, even though I am Americanized, I'm not very much American because I can't be president. And when I was a kid and I had my accent, I was reminded of the fact that I wasn't from here. <laughs> um, and that led me to really just at a young age, I think, define who I was going to be for the rest of my life on my own without having as much of an influence with the people around me because I was just a stranger in a foreign land for a very long time. And this was all before I met you, actually, because that was all when I moved to New Jersey. And then, mm -hmm. then in a weird turn of events, my parents moved us to a mountain town in Pennsylvania, where it was all Pennsylvania Dutch, right when I was starting to learn English. As if that wasn't that a Willy Wonka turn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Funny how so life I mean, has yeah. a way of doing that, right? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah. That's, I mean, wow. It, you, you said it, but you continued so eloquently like you know it's one of those things like oh let me start in the beginning well I was born and then you just everyone rolls their eyes but but you Mark you have 
you have a story that for as long as I've known you, you're, this has been part of your identity. And I, and I think just knowing who you've grown into as an individual, and I know that there's a military career, I know that there's an artistic mm -hmm. career, I know that there's, you've traveled all over the world, done in, incredible things, uh, you know, which we're going to, which we're going to get to, but just keep that in mind, everyone, as you're listening, like, you no, know, this is a person who he said, he's like, I can't be president already right there. He's like in a country that is free, but he's already been given restrictions. You know, he's already grown up not knowing a language. Like, you know, we remember back in the day. So we went to school in the, in the nineties where cell, you know, cyber bullying wasn't a thing. It was still real bullying. You know, it was still like make fun of the kid with the accent or make fun of like the skinny kid with like, you know, and it was, it was real and in your face and that, that type of stuff imprints on you and that type of stuff shapes you and molds you and, and how we started this podcast like every five to ten years just kind of having a rebirth and a, a a transformation of who you are into who you're becoming like this type of stuff really never goes away but just listening to Mark talk about it is so profound in in the stories that he's going to tell you about where he went to next and, and kind of how that happened and as, as we're on this gooder life thought we're really focusing on transformation. Like who were you and who do you want to become? And just listening to Mark's through line as he, as he kind of weaves that for us. So phenomenal intro, my man, just as always, you know, blown away. And so I kind of, I kind of want to fast forward because I hinted at sure. it, but you know, the, the part where we kind of distanced ourselves was when you joined the military. So I think that that might be kind of a, a fun little story to, to talk to people about. Yeah, absolutely. So when I went, I went to college in Philadelphia and I was a graphic designer and I worked on the Obama campaign, the original one, when he first got elected, when he was just a senator. And I also, I did design, I did posters, but I also canvassed and met people door to door. And I had this revelation. One day I was sitting at work and I was doing a campaign. I was working at a design studio to sell people, long story short, to sell people who don't need something something <laughs> trying to sell them these blenders isn't that all sales we targeting, yeah. snake oil but we were we were targeting low-income families with this really expensive blender and trying to create a campaign to get them like it was like mid-range price and i had this revelation because i had just finished working on the obama campaign i was like i don't want this to be my story which is sort of a thing that guides me through life i honestly feel like like when i pass away the stories people will talk about me i think are very important because i just wanted to be known for good mm -hmm. reason and so I said, all right, I need to, I have the skill set, but now I need the story behind it. And that's when I joined the Navy. And I joined as a mass communication specialist out of a, a Navy public affairs support element West out of California, San Diego. And that was a photographer, journalist, videographer, and also I did public affairs. That experience took me all around the world. And I had been to other places before that, but that really took me to the places I wouldn't have got to go to. So um, I did a couple of wartime missions because I speak Arabic. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East doing that sort of stuff. But I also did a humanitarian mission, which took me to places like Papua New Guinea, Fiji, like these obscure islands of Fiji and the Philippines and all that. And um, it really got me in touch with this idea that at any given moment, if you just take a moment to have a pause you realize that there are other people somewhere else in the world, literally alive at that same exact moment of, as you, doing something completely vastly different. And, and you don't even think about it. Like right now I think about this guy I met, um, his name was Boti. 
he was a janitor for the entire island of this small little island that we were on in Papua New Guinea. And he would just go around cleaning the streets, singing this song. He was doing these like whistles. <laughs> he was just so happy. And mind you, he lived in a place that there was no hospital on the island. The government was just this collection of tribes. And because Australia had been in war with them for 10 years. But this guy was just so happy. And we brought the Navy band with us. He was dancing. He was singing. He was just enjoying mm-hmm. life. <laughs> and I consistently think about that, man. I actually made him one of the main characters in this comic I'm drawing. And um, yeah, just for my mental health, as far as that went, as far as my motivation to ever get out of a slump, I genuinely think about Boti from time to time and the other people I've met in my travels and helped out. Mm. So so what you're saying there and, the, you know, golden goose nugget here, it's kind of a little joke we have on the podcast, golden goose nugget. We we in in pop mental health i call it pop mental health because you'll get a lot of voices on instagram trying to tout a lot of like scientific research and evidence-led things and hey if you're ever in a slump like here's the five steps you need to get out of it and then Mm -hmm. you have someone like mark who just lives life and says if i ever want to get out of a slump i think about the happiness of other people and i try to become present yeah yeah but the implications of that are are enormous absolutely enormous because our happiness is so much less a function of our of our inner state but it's our relationship with the world and we can always find solace and comfort and happiness and motivation by connecting with others and and that's huge mark and thank you for sharing the the story of joining the military i'm going to prod a little bit deeper into that in just a moment and you know as we're talking about this this transformation from a, you know, a wartime refugee to joining you know, the most powerful fighting force in the world. You know, then we'll, we'll pump it up a little bit here, you know, USA proud, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, re- but realizing at the same time, like there was, there were still things that you had to do to take care of yourself. You know, you said your mental health needed a little bit of a boost. How, how was life on the ship? How did you keep yourself sane? How did you keep yourself physically fit? How did you not allow yourself to kind of succumb to just the monotony of the work, but like actually enjoy it. Like what types of things were you doing? Yeah, that's a good question. Thanks for asking that. So I will tell you that it's a bit surreal because when you're on the ship, everything is around you. You like on the, the first level is all the shops on the second level is where you eat on the third level is where the gym is on the fourth level is where you sleep. Every you wake up and you're just enclosed in this ship. And everything around you is death because it's just the ocean. <laughs> You're not stepping in that ocean. So it's literally this, well, it's not literally, but it's figuratively this, this capsule that you have to stay inside of. So if you want to look at it as like a state of being sane, you're inside the box and you can't escape it because anywhere to go outside of it is water. And I rather enjoyed it because I'm a child of curiosity. So every day I woke up and it was new waters, new birds. Well, you knew if you saw birds, you were near land. And that's something sailors learn to do. They can tell how close we are to land based on the birds that we can see. No birds, you know you're in the middle of the ocean. You start seeing <laughs> these Pacific birds, you know that you're, say, 250 miles away from land somewhere in some certain direction. So I would say I was probably one of the more fittest I was. So physical fitness has always been important to me. I think actually when I met you, one of the first things that I told you to do was start coming to the gym with me. Is that right? There, there's a good chance you might have been one of those initial motivators. Sure. Yeah. Just, you, you and, and our you buddy and Yeah. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, we talk about him. Yep. Right yeah. Yeah. You just mm-hmm. bulked up hugely. But um, so physical fitness has always been important to me because I really, I'm of the mindset that motion is emotion. 
So if I, I can tell through myself, if I don't move for too long, I feel my like emotional state also taking a seat on the couch with me. And so I had to stay working out. And on a ship, it's a bit like a normal gym where you start seeing the same people, except on the ship, you work with those people, you put your lives in their hands when they do their job and you develop this certain bond at the gym. You're this like, because you, you, you stick to a routine. And uh, so I made a lot of close friends through the gym and through staying physically fit. And, you know, in the military, you do a lot of stuff that requires a lot of physical exercise, but it was actually a really enjoyable time. There's nothing like sleeping within a giant ship rocking you to bed every single night. Granted, 300 other guys in the same room as you <laughs> snoring doesn't make it better, but you get no. used to that. So, okay. So, you know, you, you also kind of started off your story talking about the community aspect, kind of that tribal mentality that, that was so ingrained in you. And here you are on a ship kind of living out your dream. Was there ever, were there ever moments where you just kind of like wanted to get away from it all, where you just wanted to be alone and were you able to do that? Yes. Yeah, so that's a good question. I would say yes, but ships are pretty huge. So I had my own favorite places, places I could sneak away to. There's a lot of rooms on ships, but especially outside, there's a lot of places where no one goes. Um, I, I wrote a lot. So a lot of my memories are the things I wrote down. So for me, because let me add this too, I was the only MC on my ship, which means I handled all the public affairs. So like CNN, Fox is calling, I'm the one picking up the phone. We didn't even have a public affairs officer. It was just me. So any event, I had to photograph it, write the story, release it to the media. Anytime we pulled into a country, um, I had to set up the press conference and call people and like make calls and set up the sound box, all that stuff. So it was very stressful. Um, but again, I'm a child of nature and curiosity. So every time I stepped outside, I had that ocean with me and I was surrounded by a lot of people I became very close with because I, you know, I photographed them. Everyone loved me. <laughs> I made them famous on the internet, on Navy.mil and CNN and stuff. So yeah, I really developed a good sense of community when I was on those ships, and it was a really happy time for me. You know, you spend 32 days out to sea, and then the next time you see land, it's a new country. Mm. But now here's the other part. Let me flip this around for you. So I told you I'm from the Middle East. So now when we get to the Middle East, I'm now working with like Navy SEAL teams and also my own teams, and we're doing wartime missions. And I'm approaching people, and this part was actually a little bit of a challenge for me. I'm approaching people who speak my language who if I never left, I may have known them by some like six degrees of separation. And I had to really reconcile with that because I was, here I am showing up with the American military to the area I was born in and where we weren't greeted as, you know, heroes when we get there, obviously, because we're doing stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a little bit surreal. And I had to meditate on that for a very long time. Like, is this something I want to take part in? I mean, this is where I was born. I've and that was my first time actually coming back from really as an adult from when I was born back to the Middle East. So yeah, it was surreal at times. So, so that first off phenomenal. And this is a, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've heard this story a few beers in and uh, it's good to hear it. <laughs> it's good to hear it in the, in the light of sobriety and just the, the details at, at which you describe everything. What did, so coming from, again, coming from a child as a war refugee to a country 
where you were kind of already not handicapped, but you weren't dealt the golden deck and, and just kind of mm -hmm. overcoming that adversity as a child, all the way up to wanting to join the military after working on Obama's campaign to essentially make a difference, following all yeah. the things that were really tempered into your personality and identity, but also knowing that, you know, we change every few years. How, what did the transformation arc look like Mark entering the military versus Mark leaving the military? How would, would, if you step back and describe yourself in a third person type of manner, how would you say that the military had changed you? Hmm. Well, I'll stay positive with it. Because <laughs> well, I have no, did... issues and all the... <laughs> Well, that, that's so, is, okay. Well, okay. Well, we can talk about the, the, you know, the physical stuff. Cause that might be, that might be mentioned to people who are struggling through their jobs and, and unable to maintain that fitness as a, mm -hmm. as a, as a, yeah. Could be. So, I mean, I, just to answer your question, I, I have obviously, what should I say, obviously, but because I was actually on the ground doing all this sort of stuff, there's a lot of psychological trauma stuff like you know, when you break down doors, you just see these scared families, that stuff tends to stick with you, things like that. Mm -hmm. I also have like physical, like my L4, L5 is uh, herniated and, or was bulging at one time and pressed against my sciatica. So I have the physical stuff, but overall, you know, that stuff, the VA takes care of, which is nice. But I would say my biggest transformation I had from joining and getting out was I really had to build confidence when I was in because one, I was the one of one doing my job. And two, I had to get the story and I couldn't be shy anymore. So growing up, I was internally confident, but I was a shy person. Mm -hmm. So now I had to be outgoing. So for me, I'm an introvert. I recharge by being by myself. I recharge by doing my art, my music, all that. I couldn't maintain that on the ship. I had to go out. I had to see what people were doing. I had to talk to people. I had to be the one when an incident happened, I had to roll up and fix it because I was the public affairs person for our ship. Granted, that was on the ship I spent 13 uh, months on. On bigger ships, we had public affairs officers who would handle that stuff. But um, mm -hmm. I think to answer your question, my biggest transformation is that I had to change my mindset about my own self-worth. Because I think one of the things that happens when you grow up in the environment that I did growing up of love and care, but you're a, a foreigner in this world. And I, I will say where we grew up, I was a bit of like, uh, a novelty I guess like I didn't really get so much bullied for being Middle Eastern I really more just it was like I was a shiny toy that looked different than everybody else you know I don't know if that was good or bad but like people weren't mean per se they were just like I was a, a like a like a traveling uh, circus show if you will when I showed up they're like oh we don't ever had a Middle Easterner in this small town I'm pretty sure, but, um, I'm yeah. pretty sure when anyway, I met I was saying, I'm pretty sure when I met you though, it was our, it was our punk rock face. So I'm pretty sure your hair was like twisted up in all sorts of spikes and we had like the chokers yeah. and shit on. So it was definitely. Yeah. It, I had Liberty not, spikes. Yeah, it didn't exactly. help. No, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't help. And then the weirdest part is I played varsity soccer. So I was like hanging out with the preps, putting Liberty spikes up at night, hanging out with the punk kids. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I, but to get, just to finish that thought, I think um, I developed this complex of feeling not good enough, which is very common. I know a lot of people get that or that I don't belong and the military really and it wasn't so much that it was the military it was my position in the military it forced me to get out of that it forced me to understand that the way I phrase it is that there is no good enough there simply is and I just simply am here and I need to like really take advantage of that 
because you know i will never be 27 again i will never be 34 again so i'm not going to spend that time anymore holding back so that was the the change that i had when i got out yeah and, and what you said there again is just so powerful because while many of us listening might not like myself included might not have gone through the military we've certainly gone through a time in our life where we have felt not good enough in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And, and what you've described from the, from the functional training world is an environment tweak, meaning that your environment is going to form the constraints by which you're going to mold that personality. And Mm -hmm. you you basically were able to identify who you were as a person, but say that, you know, this person is, a different person needs to be here. And you were obviously motivated by something bigger than yourself, right? You were probably motivated by the people around you, which is why you joined and did the humanitarian stuff. You were, mm-hmm. you were looking for the, the helping of other people. You realized that you had to kind of step up into a role. And I think that's so powerful for so many people listening is, is that they, we constantly deal with feelings of not good enough. I'm not enough, or I'm, I'm insufficient, or I'm inferior, or I'm inept, or I'm debilitated, or I'm, I'm just, and people just give up. So can, can we take that thread and build it out a little bit more? Maybe your own personal experience or another story where you've kind of dealt with those feelings of inferiority, and then more importantly, how you conquered them and some, some action steps that besides thinking about uh, your buddy in Papua New Guinea, who just kind of makes you smile as, yeah. as a way of, as a way of just, yeah, is exactly just boosting the mood. Like what we're encouraging people to think about others as a step toward living a gooder life. What else can we do when mm-hmm. people are just feeling down and weighted out by their, by their own judgment and, and self-esteem issues? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. I will say for myself, I had a very long lesson in understanding that my emotional state is directly attached to my physical state and to think that I could separate the two was a mistake for myself so what Mm. happened is after I got out of the military um, I moved in with a girl and she was great for a few years but the relationship turned toxic and I was in a state where I felt as most of my life I had been the one leading the parade of life and I felt that I had fallen back into the crowd and life was leading the parade and I was going where it wanted to go. And I was in this really bad mental state. I started uh, having, like, not to get too deep into the medical stuff, I started with all these mental health stuff, these little panic attacks, PTSD issues, all this stuff. And there was a moment where I thought, I need to w- work out my, my way out of this. I was like, I need to just get physical because I am, I'm of the mindset that emotion, emotion is emotion. And I need to, and that will make me get past this. And so I, I played soccer two or three times a week. I went to the gym every day except the weekends. Um, and I started to get really fit, well, more fit, I should say. I was always in relatively good shape. And um, I noticed that I was getting better mentally, but I was still in that toxic environment. And what was happening was in my head, I was like, well, every time I go to soccer, I feel better afterwards. But what I wasn't realizing, and I thought it was the soccer that was doing that. And it was me just getting the blood going, getting the body going, getting all those toxins going. Mm-hmm. But really what I was doing is I was just out of that environment for a long enough period to be able to take the stress down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day I was on a jog in the morning and I was feeling particularly not well mentally. And I took my dog jogging and I got a point where every step I took, I was just getting dizzy. 
And I was like, oh man. And it really, it was just a mini panic attack. Basically. I, just, I was getting dizzy. I just, my heart started racing. And I was like, I don't even know if I can make it home. I started walking. I had my dog who I love and she was luckily there to help me calm down. And, and I made it back home. And I was in really good physical shape at that time. And uh, I went to my bedroom. The girl I was dating was not in the room. And I just like broke down by myself. I was just like in tears. I like couldn't calm down. I didn't know what was wrong. I was like, I'm doing the right things. I'm working out. I'm like getting fit. I'm doing my morning mantras. I'm asking myself like, you know, I was going through the motions of physical improvement, thinking that's what it was. If I can be physically fit, I can get past all of this. And then what I realized in that moment, because I was able, once I calmed down, it was a rough morning, but then I calmed down and I was able to really meditate for a while on just what's wrong if it's not physical. I realized that my emotional state I was neglecting and I was foolish to think that I didn't have to work out that part of my body, my brain. I could just Mm -hmm. do the physical side Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I would be just fine. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that's when I really started to, and that's also when I, I went to this thing called Landmark, which is like a self-development, um, it's a weekend thing, but it, for me, it was powerful. Basically, it takes really complex uh, philosophical ideas like Jahari's window and uh, change has to come from brand new, all these things and boils it down to really simple ideas that you can understand. Um, and that's, I came to the realization of what I said earlier, where I was no longer leading the parade of my life. Mm-hmm. And that's when... I started incorporating meditation into my workouts. So now when I work out, when I do my cool down, I'm stretching, but I'm also being mindful. Mm-hmm, I started mm-hmm. doing things like um, purposeful meditation. So I will block out 15, 30 minutes. And, you know, some people only need it for like two minutes. If you can only meditate for 30 seconds, that's good. I'm just mm-hmm. a big advocate of meditating. And I started mixing the mental workouts with the physical ones. Um, I got myself out of that environment, out of that because I, I think one of the things is even if you start to plant seeds of growth, if the soil isn't fertile, it's, it's going to be a lot harder to see those new trees, those, the, that new growth. So I had to get mm-hmm. myself out of the environment. Mm-hmm. And um, I just saw a revelation and a change almost instantly. I honestly want to say that it was like almost instantly. As soon as I left there, I thought, man, I'm, now I'm in it because I had left my dog. I had left my house. I had left California. I moved to the East Coast. But then I just made a decision that I'm back in charge and I want to do the things that I want to do. And that's when I bought my house. I got into my master's program. That's when I'm running my political campaign now. I'm doing all these things. And I really think it's because I made that, that change, that mm-hmm. idea that my mental and my physical need to be combined to, to really be a holistically healthy person. Mm-hmm. And, and again, wow. So first off, so much incredible struggle in that story and how often do we constantly strive for the silver bullet how how often do we just want that magic pill that just makes it go away oh i'm having a rough day let me just go work it out and suppress all those feelings and irritabilities and oh no it definitely can't be the girlfriend that's toxic like that wouldn't ever be it i love her of course why would that be the problem (laughs) and 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 so often i think so many people can relate myself included is you you again bring up this this um, environment, this, mm-hmm. this environment. And yeah. it's so difficult to change because we feel that once we set our roots in, if we leave somewhere, we almost feel like we're quitting. 
right? To like, right. oh, if, if, if I'm, you know, I'm not going to give up on this, on this relationship, I'm going to make it work. You know, we're, we're ingrained with this mentality that we are, are t- we have to be tough and resilient, but that's what I'm, what we're hearing here is that's not the case. In fact, if we were smart enough to recognize sooner that the environment might be the thing that's actually poisonous, like you said, if the soil isn't right, it, not only might not the trees grow, they might die, right? If we got, if we got, t- you know, if we got soil, that's just like crap. We're, the tree ain't going to not only not grow, it's going to die. It's going to get strangled out. And mm-hmm. I think that that might be, that might be the core idea of, of, of our chat here is, is every story Mark has mentioned has an environment change, whether of his own doing or just by happenstance. But I think the, I think the miracle comes when you're wise enough to recognize it. And I think that that's what we're learning as him and I are kind of both approaching 40 now is that a lot of stuff is out of our control. You know, we can make the decision to lead the parade or be a follower. That one, that one is just a matter of a mindset shift. But the reality is it's the environment that we don't pay enough attention to. I know I can, I can speak for, for both of us when we say like, we're both, we are both travelers at heart. Like before the pandemic, I think I was in Arizona for maybe three months. Like I was all over now, nothing to the extent that Mark was with the military, but I'm, I'm a traveling man and we've been all over the place and starting to settle down a little bit now. And not that I'm getting antsy, but I'm realizing environmental tweaks are not necessarily even location, but they're just perspectives like rearranging a room or potentially taking a different route to work. Like these are environmental shifts or like realizing if a relationship isn't necessarily serving your best interest, like that's an environment we, we gotta, we gotta change that. And the more we do it and we see the successes, I think the quicker we can get on the road to a gooder life, because I, I think where you're at now, Mark, I, I know you overcame a lot of those, those struggles and, and tried to just kind of work it out, right? How many of us are like, oh, I'm pissed. I'm gonna go hit the bag. And then it's like, oh, I feel good for like five minutes. Like you're playing soccer, but then you go back into like, you know, the, the acid ridden pond and you're like, well, man, now that third eye's growing again, it ain't too fun. And, yeah. and I so- I do want to mention though, I think for me, one of the biggest revelations I had is that I can't say I love a thing if I'm constantly trying to change it. So for me, when I speak of environment, it was sometimes very physically the environment I was in, but it was also my mental scape. It was what was inside my head. Mm. And I had to change the environment I was living in internally. That was a big part for me too. Mm. Because I, I really, the, one of the thoughts I had created during this time period was, I was trying to love this person that I was in a relationship with, but I was constantly looking for her to be something that I wanted her to be. Mm. but she wasn't that way and so I was also at fault in this toxicity right because I realized I'm not loving this person for who they are and that is really the hardest part of making some sort of an environment change is knowing when you're you have to know when you sometimes need to just call it quits but you also have to be wise enough Let let me phrase it this way you have to be wise enough to know when you need to quit and also wise enough to know when you can make a change to make it better. Mm. But they're not, you know, they can be uh, exclusive to each other. They don't have to always, you don't have to pick one or the other, but they can exist on their own. Right, right. And it's also, it's also a matter of being authentic. Like that's, that's kind of the, you're speaking there. I'm, I'm hearing the word authentic. Mm. It's all too often we project these artificial desires on everything deep down. It's like, well, I want it to be this way. So I'm just going to make it so. 
And uh, that trips us up more often than not. And I, I think the wisdom really comes in recognizing the authenticity, like seeing a spade for a spade and not trying to make it a diamond and realizing that that's okay. And, and like you said, cultivating that confidence and then pairing it with the, the transformation that you went through in the military where you realize that, okay, I, I need the nature to recharge. I, I'm growing into this person of who I am. I'm really going even further back. I'm, I'm this immigrant in the US who maybe have obstacles to overcome, but at the same time, I'm, I'm leading my own parade. I'm making my own mm -hmm. rules. And, and all of that has now, you know, all of these different things are, are ways of looking at life that I'm hoping people can relate to. All of us can relate to a toxic relationship. And then we get out in hindsight, we're like, oh man, I saw that. But I, I think the, the message right now is how do we get people to see that before it happens? How do we get them to understand mm -hmm. it when they're in the shit, that they're actually in the shit to turn their senses on, to, to realize and have the confidence that, Life will get better if you do tweak your environment. And all of this stuff has, has brought you to where you are today. So, you know, I'm curious, and I'm, I'm sure the listeners are as well, Mark, like who is Mark Elray's today? What does he do? What is all of this environment tweaking and figuring out who he was mentally and physically? Who, who is the person that now sits behind the microphone chatting to us? Um, I mean... I, I, that's a good question. And I think it's an ever evolving question. Mm -hmm. I can answer it to how I feel today. Um, I'm happy. I feel successful. I feel powerful. Um, I feel like myself. And I don't mean that in a unsubstantial way. I feel like I'm living my life truly to who I am these days, a lot more than I was, let's say five years ago or four years ago. Um, I just do things differently. And I will say part of my journey to get to this point was some of it was very like the things you would hear at therapy. So like very just basic things, wake up in the morning, ask yourself, what are you grateful for? Or take a moment of a, a break throughout the day, name three things you could see, three things you could smell, three things you can touch, two things you can see, two things you can smell, two things you can touch. So some of them were these very just I almost like medicinal type things that you need to do. But some of them also were very philosophical. Like I started making dinner for myself. I started learning how to cook. I actually just sent you a photo of the food I made earlier mm -hmm, today mm -hmm. through a text. Um, I, 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 saw the, I, I saw the takeout box in the background. Yeah, right. right yeah. <laughs> it was my first time using a spiralizer. Those things are awesome. Mm -hmm. I had some zucchini squash. But so like I started cooking for myself. And what I started to feel was the love that I've been giving to other people, I was giving it to myself. And I honestly felt loved by myself. Like I felt like I was loving myself and I'm getting more and more of these moments these days because I'm focused on almost like dating myself. You know, I don't mind going to a movie by myself or spending time by myself at the monuments here in DC and all that stuff, because I just look at myself as someone who's worth it. And I start to if I ever have fear, if I can't accomplish something, I just want to try it because I'm worth the attempt. Um, and that's led me to a place now where, you know, I'm, I have all these big things coming up. Um, like I said, I'm running this little campaign here, trying to get elected. I'm going to get my executive MBA. I, I have all these little companies I'm running. I have these nonprofits that I'm helping digitally. I'm, you know, I'm a manager, a leader at my work. I created the life that I wanted for myself. 
that I think three or four years ago, I would have been scared to go after because I had these feelings of, well, I'm not that person that does that. But you just got to, you know, I changed my mindset through these little things. A part of it was the physical part and a lot of it was the mental part. So, yeah. And that, and that, that didn't happen overnight, right? Like the market no. that's sitting here now is years in the making, right? Yeah, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of reading, some like, like books that really helped, you know, breathe was one I really enjoyed changing the way that we breathe through our nose instead of our mouth, atomic habits. Like I said, some of these were things that are just, you could read about and do them and they're really helpful. Things like when you have a habit and you want to turn it into your personality, like let's say physical fitness, you have to make it accessible. You have to make it easy. You have to make it fun and you have to make it realistic. So for instance, I keep my gym shoes. I no longer put them deep inside my closet. I put them somewhere where I could see them. And I put all my shorts and my shirts, my workout clothes towards the front of my closet, things like that. Now, now when I want to go to the gym, my barriers to entry are lower. I keep it realistic. If I go to the gym and I don't want, I'm like five minutes in and I'm like, I am just not motivated today. I will be glad that I just, I will, if again, this is just what I do. <laughs> I, if I stop, I'm not mad at myself mm. because the reality for me is you like, I'm, you are a fitness expert. I just love having a healthy body. And for me, that was enough to accomplish the goal that I set out for myself. And it's like, okay, today was a five minute day. I'm not going to be mad at myself. I'm just glad I got my shoes on and went. So now I'm building the habit of going. And then the next day I'll work out the whole hour or even longer, something like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, it's a lot of trial and error. Some of the things didn't work for me. Um, I'm not like a group therapy person. I tried that for a while. It's just, I'm, cause I'm more curious about what people are saying that I forget to tune into myself. <laughs> you know, I've always felt like if I had a superpower, it would be like, I could listen to anyone talk. Um, and as long as they're passionate about what they're talking about, it could be anything. It'd be pencils. I will passionately and genuinely be able to listen and be intrigued. And so like group therapy didn't work for me because I was always just super into what everyone else was talking about. And then when they're like, all right, well, how about you? I'd be like, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Can we just yeah. go to someone else? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of therapy benefits from just listening right here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was trial and error um, mm -hmm. for sure. Right. Right. And that's, I think that's something that we hear it all the time, but does it actually set? Does it actually resonate? Because in theory, it's super simple, right? Change your mindset, everything gets better. But really, how easy is that in practice? And, and I think what we've heard in this, in this interview, Mark, is that it ain't easy. It sure is hell ain't mm -hmm. easy. And it is an ever-changing process. And, and just kind of surrendering to the fact that we need to wise up to what's in our control. We need to understand what's out of our control. And we need to be brave enough to just take the bull by the horns. And if we don't like where it's going... We just need to steer it in the right direction and it's going to buck and it's going to get mad and get pissed off and it's probably going to try and throw us off, but we just got to tighten our grip. And, you know, that's, that's what we heard in all the different stories that you kind of brought out is that each and every one had an environmental circumstance, whether it was physical or mental, some that were in your control, some that were out of your control. And each and every time you came out a slightly different person, all evolving into who you are now. And I think, if, you know, if everyone just kind of takes a second and ask yourself, if you would go back 10 years and say, who are you? you know, what is the person going to be 10 years from now? So like right now, if you went back 10 years and said, am I going to be this person? I, a hundred percent of us would say, no, absolutely not. Right. Because mm -hmm. there, and 10 years from now, who are we going to be? Heck, if I know, it's probably going to be an evolved version of what's going on. And 
the sooner we realize that and the sooner we're brave enough to just allow curiosity to be at the forefront. Because you, you said that word and I, like you, Mark, am extremely curious. I've run into people who say they aren't. However, I think it's just innately human that we need to, that, that we need to express this, this curious urge. And so many of us suppress it because of things like feelings of inferiority, fear of failure, fear of judgment. All of these mm-hmm. things are constantly on the forefront of society's values. And if we just kind of turn inward and say to ourselves, well, what, what ultimately matters to me? Can I love myself? And that's, that's kind of what I hear as, as we wrap this up is that you've gotten to a place where you love yourself, where you're just like existing in this state of transformative love. And that will take many different shapes and forms. But what does it take for those listening who get tripped up to get to that point? Does it take 30 years of trial and error? Does it take, Mm. you know, multiple mental health breakdowns? Does it take changing their environment completely? Like, what is it, what does it take for those listening to just, what's the first step? What do people have to do? Yeah, that's a hard question. Um, I mean, I think it's made even harder. I'm not a therapist, nor am I even a mental health expert, but I could speak to my own experience. I, I think, to answer your question, I think the first thing you can do is, is get to know yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that's extremely powerful. Um, Awareness. There is no blanket approach to fixing anything, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially when it comes to your own mental health, if you're feeling stuck in life, if you're feeling like you want to get bigger things, have a, I mean, I meditate, there's many other different ways to do it, but you need to get to know yourself in a real way as if you were almost as if you were a stranger, mm-hmm. get to know what you like, what turns you on, what turns you off, what gets you mentally stimulated, what bores you, how you learn how you respond to stress, what makes you happy. And I mean, genuinely happy. You know the difference between joy and happiness, Jason? Well, your own, you might have your own one, okay. Mm-hmm. So my understanding of it is joy is that temporary feeling. It's like, I bought the car, I have the car. Happiness is that long-term decision that sticks with you. Like I moved near my family I, and I now feel better overall. But um, I think being able to understand being able to know yourself and to know what triggers those thoughts and emotions, I just think you're going to be in a more powerful state to create action plans and to be able to accept help from others, knowing if it's going to work for you or not, and to just live life more powerfully. A, a gooder life, as they say. Live a gooder life, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that. I'm going to get to that question as I made you dive deep into that. You might have flip-flopped the two. I think happiness is fleeting. Joy is long-term. But I, you were in the you were in the the right field. Joy is, is we'll something. We'll battle each other. We for yeah. which one? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll bring back that love units conversation and see how that ends up. <laughs> that that that's an aside that we'll have an entirely another podcast um, because it's Ain't just the truth. For those yeah. listening, that was a really uh, capturing conversation me and Jason had in Africa in a bus where a ton of people were just listening to us talk about. Yeah, we basically, we, it, it was my contention at the time to which I stand corrected. I think I actually did lose the battle that you only have a finite amount of love. 
And I said, well, like, imagine you have a thousand units. And then it just, it got out of control. And I did exactly what every knucklehead young dude does. He defends his honor by coming up with every single possible explanation under the sun as to why this would be valid. And it was just a losing battle, but I would not give up until finally, like a year later after this conversation, I think I texted <laughs> everyone in the year group. Later. <laughs> yeah, I texted everyone in the group and I said, y'all were right. Like love is infinite. And I still, you know, I go back and forth. No, I, I stand corrected. Love is infinite. And if there's anything we learned in this conversation with Mark, so who so graciously came on and offered so many like deep stories, some that were, were deeply personal, some that were troubling, but mostly the successes that came out of all of those learning opportunities is that we really do need to love ourselves. We really do need to get to know ourselves. And, and in getting to know, we can have a greater appreciation for our capacities. And if we want to live that gooder life and we want to stay physically fit, well, we have to be mentally fit. And if we want to be mentally fit, we have to be physically fit. The two are inseparable. Yet so often we look for those silver bullets where we just want, we, we come up with excuses as to what we're doing is the proper way and it blinds us. And the wisdom really in growing older and having the ability to go through all these experiences is that we can figure it out faster if we just test the soils, if we just look around us with authenticity instead of an artificial lens. And we can really truly get to living a gooder life mostly because we build that trust in ourselves, that we actually can love ourselves, that we're confident enough that regardless of what happens outside, who we are inside remains ever evolving, but almost never changing. And I think with that, Mark, I do want to ask you the final question that answer, you know, the question before was a little preload, but if you had to leave everyone with one little quick, concise tidbit about how to live a gooder life, what would you encourage the listeners to do? Oh man, that's such a heavy question. All right. Uh, I'll give you my personal motivation every single day that I use for myself. So I was told once when you pass away, you pass away twice. Once when your body physically leaves and once when someone says your name for the very last time. And ever since I've heard that, I started asking myself, who am I being? What will people say about me when I am gone? And I've lived every day since that moment, making sure that my actions and my words will leave a legacy that I will be proud for people to talk about. I love it. That is, I'm not even going to add to that. That is where we're going to end it. Mark, thank you so much for coming on to <laughs> a Gooder Life podcast. I we got to make mention, can't go the whole podcast without talking about my... Uh, partner in crime, Miss Esther, as she'll be back next week. And who knows, maybe we'll have you on later in the season. We'll get to do a, a triple interview with you because she always keeps things nice and fun and bubbly and uh, really that. can't wait to get her back here next week. But it has been an absolute joy chatting with you. Thank you so much for enlightening our listeners with your personal stories and the transformation that ensued. Thanks, Jason. I love you, man. Thanks for having me on. Love you too, buddy. We'll see you guys next time on a Good Life podcast.